You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. We're thrilled to have you guys here with us on this lovely Thursday evening. So Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. So through the show, we'll be hanging out and interviewing all kinds of people from social change makers, industry leaders, pioneers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world, and many of whom had spent some time here at the Penn campus as well. So by hearing these inspiring stories on how they are changing their own reality, hopefully we'll be able to pick up little bits of wisdom that we can apply in our own journeys to create the parts that we want and create the world around us that we want to create a meaningful life. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about finding out those stories so that we can learn from them and hopefully shorten the learning curve of our own journeys at the same time. And to show you how important I feel kind of like the power of stories is, stories have been everything in my journey and has helped me do the many things that I've done. And even taking it a step further, I actually founded a youth movement called Ascendance back home in Malaysia about seven years ago. And over the years, we've grown to collaborate with not only our Malaysian Ministry of Education to over 28 different countries, to MNCs and nonprofits all across the world to provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through uh, various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and come back and use those meaningful experiences to create careers that don't just benefit themselves, but benefit those around them as well. And to date, we've been fortunate to work with over 35,000 students from 970 communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects, social enterprises, and so much more run by students aged 8 to 25 years old. And the basis behind this, the reason all of this has kind of been able to be to come into reality itself is because of stories. It's because of kind individuals who spend their time to actually share with us, share with our students how they actually made their success possible and how our students can do the same. So that's how powerful and that's how I've seen stories change lives in my own day-to-day -day life. And if you want to know more about the show, please do drop us comments and, and let us know what you guys want to figure out and what you guys are going through so that we can tailor these episodes to your experiences. Because I hope that this platform, Changing Reality, serves as that same medium for you guys to help figure out what you love and to get a little bit of the experiences from others who have done something uh, phenomenal to create that same journey for you and shorten your learning curve in the process. And that brings us to our speaker for today. So today's speaker is someone who's truly phenomenal, who has, I think, multidisciplinary success across his career. So from graduating with a law degree at Penn's own Carey Law School to an incredibly successful career in entertainment, technology, VR, and so much more, our speaker is the current head of special projects at Game On Technology. Um, he's a pioneer in the world of VR. He actually previously served as the director of VR video at Google and VP of creative content and strategy at Samsung, where he actually led Samsung's effort to create original content um, well, and focus on kind of their VR video services as well. And that was the number one content destination um, for uh, at, um, at Gear VR and Oculus. 
So prior to that, he had an equally exciting career in the entertainment industry, where he was the chief digital officer at Core Media Group, where he oversaw digital content strategy and creative development for four franchises, including uh, franchises like American Idol and So You Think You Can Dance, while working on Core's portfolio companies and, and producers to develop new content initiatives across digital platforms. So he has been a long advocate of bridging the gap between content and technology and has served in many other top roles, working alongside studios, TV networks, and some of the biggest stars alike. So it is truly an honor to welcome our speaker today. Without further ado, let's welcome Matt to our virtual stage. Hello, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for making the time and for joining us on our little show. That was quite an introduction. I don't know how I'm going to be able to live up to it, but hopefully we'll try. Well, you're the only one who can because you're the only one who probably has that insane of an introduction. And I think quite, like, as I said, a very huge reign of experiences. You started at like Penn as a law student and then mm -hmm. went on to do so many different things, which is probably the furthest from law that I could probably think about. So I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. But like, thank you again for being on the show. And I'm so curious, like, you seem to be someone who's like at the pioneer of technology, who knows exactly like what's going to where the world's headed. You called mm -hmm. VR much before I think the rest of us found out about this buzzword and all of that. Were you this, like, 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 did you have all of this master plan when you were a student back at Penn or even before that, when, when you were a bachelor's student, like many of our audience today? Or were you just as equally lost and confused as where the world was heading as we are now? Oh, I think it's definitely door number two. Um, <laughs> I always tell people, I, you know, I worked on some really big trivia game shows by a fluke and nobody goes to college or law school to study trivia or to study game shows. There's no game show major. I don't know. Maybe there is somewhere. Um, but no, the, I, you know, I, you know, depending on how you look at it, you could either say I've had an incredible amount of uh, intellectual curiosity, um, or you could say at the other poll, you could say, well, it, yeah, I have, <laughs> I, I have like zero ability to focus and stick with one thing. But um, it took me a long time, like a long time, like through law school, to to kind of get that self awareness, right? To to realize that you know. My whole life, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer. I, I went to law school and it's a it's a great background. I would never trade it for anything. But um, that's a really hard reality to come to at 25. It's, if, if there's a way to come to it at, at 16 or 15 or whenever, like, you know, probably would be easy for most. But, you know, we, I, I just learned that you've it's okay. It's okay to change course. It's okay to, to do different things as long as you're pursuing your passion. And that, and that's really as a father now. That's what I I preach back to my kids. No, well, that's amazing. I think more parents should listen to this advice. Yeah. And play yeah. that and repeat if they can. How was it like for you as a student back then? Kind of like thinking that all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to law school. You get to one of the best law schools. Mm -hmm. I'd like to claim. Thanks, Penn. And then figuring out and coming to that realization that maybe this isn't exactly what I want to do. How did you go about that? Well, the, well, to be candid, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, and that is my regret, regret. Like I, I never, I always, when I go back to the law school and speak to them or, or, or talk to students when I was at, at large companies, I don't regret changing paths or changing gears or, or switching what I'm doing, but it was just the lack of mentors and the lack of advice that I just, for whatever reason, didn't get and didn't choose to get. So if there is one thing that I think I really preach and that, again, that I really just never did, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it was insecurity. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. 
I never had mentors. I never went out and worked with my professors and established relationships with business folks. Uh, anything that I was passionate about, I just kind of said, I'm going to do it. and just made the decision on my own. And I'm not saying there were the wrong decisions, harshly, but I'm saying, you know, if you're thinking about like all these different careers, all these different things that somebody can do, especially at a place like Penn or any any institution, having those relationships and those people that have been there before, that have been in the trenches, that can just help you think about like what who you are as a person and what you're good at. I think that's the one thing I was really, really lacking. And again, most of it was my own fault. Like there were mentors available. I just chose not to, for whatever reason, immaturity. I just chose not to go down that path. So for me, um, I wouldn't say, hey, go out and only study engineering because everybody, the world needs coders. Like we kind of know that, um, but the world needs imagination too. Um, so take a broad, you know, in, in an academic sense, like you don't have to change your major or change what you're doing. You can end up anywhere. And I'm living proof of that. But I would say spend as much time as you possibly can to anyone, like just getting mentors, learning more about different roles, different jobs and what the world is about and really trying to figure out who you are and what type of person you are. And then I think the career choices will be easier and they'll come, they'll come very quickly. No, I really like that. Figure out who you are and what kind of person you are and get the mentorship, yeah. get the people. To kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm old, one more point. I'm old enough. So when I was growing up, it was kind of career oriented. It was like, you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to work on Wall Street or you're going to be, um, I don't know, a, a school teacher. Like, I mean, it was very vertical or, or channeled is what I would say. And what I really preach and what I've come to realize is like, don't even start with that question. Just start with like, what do you like to do? Are you a builder? Are you a founder? Are you a helper? Are you a dreamer, right? Like, I mean, we can make up all these different terms and they may or may not mean things, but it really helps me when I'm, when I'm building teams and interviewing people too, to kind of just really help them understand, right? Like, what are you? Like, if you're not a founder, then why are you working at a startup where it's going to be super stressful? Um, you got to pivot in three seconds. There's going to be all kinds of highs and lows and ups and downs. Um, if you're more of a supporter, well, then maybe you're, you should start thinking about that. If you're a dreamer, then yes, maybe, maybe you take more classics, classes on classics and writing and things that to me, it's not about like, I want to be this, I want to be that. It's about who you are and what, what type of work and what type of personality you have. And then I think you can make smarter, smarter decisions and get better mentors from that, if that makes sense. No, I think that's a much better way of thinking about careers because I've always been someone who can never kind of like pinpoint what industry or what specific thing that I like, like a career that I wanted to have. But but I think the way that you've really structured it is a, is a, is a much needed way to think about kind of like planning what we want to do next. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I have a list. Of, I have a list of 40,000 books that I want to write someday. And that's definitely at the top <laughs> of the list. It will never happen, <laughs> but... <laughs> Keep it at the top. I'd read it. I'd buy it. Okay, that's a good book to start. You you eventually started, I think, after your time at Penn for a while. Um, I think you became a screenwriter for a while, which again is something that's very far away from law. Mm -hmm. How did your your journey of like like work to like build yourself towards that? And how did you kind of like learn about yourself in the process to figure out that that was something that you wanted to do? Well, I, well, the, the cynical answer is when you know you don't want to be a lawyer and you want to be creative, you start writing scripts because that's all you can do. Um, oh, but, but, for, but, but for me, um, 
for me, uh, writing is always, and that was a law school skill, by the way. Like, that's why I'm, I have no regrets. I don't go back and trash law degrees, like, because I didn't end up working at a big firm on Wall Street. You, I've just always, the, my first instinct is always to write an idea down. And maybe it's just because the way my brain works, it's hard for me sometimes to get ideas out of my head and to kind of make them make sense. Hopefully, this interview is not an example of that. Um, but I've always just always reverted to writing. Um, and so even to this day, it might not be a screenplay, but when I have a, a business idea or a product or something I've been doing, it always starts with a two page narrative. That's just like, okay, here's what it looks like. Here's the story. Here's why I think this is interesting. Here's what the story or product could be. And then here's how we put it into, into play. And what I found is that again, for me, whether it's writing a 120 page screenplay or a three page outline, it just helps me think about like, you know, is this any good? Can I can I sit for a week or a few days and and write that idea out and then come back to it? And you're like, and if you read that and it's like, wow, this is terrible. Well, then maybe that one goes into the drawer. Right. Or if you come back to it and you say, huh, OK, I wrote down three pages and it still really resonates with me and it still feels like something that the world might like and that I more importantly would like to do and spend more time. Then, you know, so to me, it's almost like a first filter point, if that makes sense. But you're going to make all the screenwriters like who sign up for a law degree or a lower cost of you know, this distance. But that answers your question. I mean, I like like I have a drawer full of unproduced screenplays as a result. Um, but again, it's just a question of what your own personal skills and passions are. Some people don't work that way. I, I happen to work that way. Very, very cool. Leaving college in a way and, and starting and striking out and, and being in that position where I think every fresh grad is where I don't know, at least I feel like many students at Penn, we have an expectation of how life is going to be after we're done with school. And then we have a reality that may or may not kind of like line up with that expectation. What about you? How was, how was your experience kind of like entering the working world or the, or the world outside of college? Uh, willfully naive, I would say. <laughs> um, here, here's the thing. And again, I don't want to sound like the old guy trying to, you know, give advice from, you know, my years of experience but you're going to get fired. It's okay. Right. It's okay. You're going to, you're going to end up at a job that either you hate or is not the right fit. You're going to run into people and things that, that you don't work, that you don't work well with people or the, the topic is not great for you. It's how you deal with that adversity and what you learn from it that I think is so important. And, and, you know, tell people to go, Hey, go out and get fired. It's a good thing. Um, but one of the things I do love about Silicon Valley, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hot air out here, but at the same time, people really do embrace that. They embrace this. You can be anyone you are, you want. Um, failure is okay. I know it sounds preachy, but like people really buy into that uh, here more than they do say on wall street, where I think if you lose your job or in a big law firm, if you lose your job, very hard to get back into the game. Um, and in Hollywood, it's it's killer, right? If you if something bad happens or if your show gets canceled, you're tainted goods. Um, and that was hard for me. Um, but again, like I feel like that's the one thing I would again that the, the advice I would give to people like starting out their careers is it's okay. It's not going to be a straight path. You're going to find different things. Your path might not be as jagged as mine has been, um, you know. But like it's okay if, if you hit some adversity and you get fired and you're out of work or like something isn't clicking, or like you just, you just have to learn from it and just keep and keep applying yourself. And I really believe that. Okay. I'm super curious though. I'm someone who handles failure. 
not the best. So definitely, like, um, I don't know, maybe I should move to Silicon Valley. But anyway, like for you, you know, like what, what was the first major, I wouldn't say failure or setback that you faced in a way? And how was it like going through that? Were, were you like in that, like, you had that same, like, I don't know, idea of failure when you first started? And or were you as equally as bad as I will am at handling failure when you began knowing during your first major well, I mean, That's a great, great introspective question. There's a bunch of ways to answer it, right? I mean, for me, we touched on it earlier, the drawer full of unproduced screenplays, right? Those are failures, right? Those are job interviews that nobody wanted to, or companies that nobody wanted to invest in. I mean, making a film is no different to me or a little bit different, but very similar to starting a company, right? You need capital, you need talent, you need execution, you need all of the same elements, whether it's a creative film or whether it's a product I built at Google or Samsung, like it's a very similar process. And so getting that level of rejection, I mean, you if you're going to be creative, you have to, I mean, you just have to come to terms with it, right? You have to come to terms with like 95, 99% of the projects that come out of your mind that are almost like children to you, um, or at least like meant like, like emotionally, they have like an emotional attachment you're going to have to come to terms with people saying your idea bad or not right or whatever friendly way they can say it. Um, and so like that's, that to me was like, it took me a while to realize that too, right? Like, what, what do you mean they don't want to make my first screenplays? Like, how, how could you not? It's the greatest idea ever, ever conceived. And by the way, it's awful, right? So you, you, you can say that now 20, 30 years later, but you can't say that in the moment because you're so passionate about it. Um, and then there was one time I was just fired from a job. I, like I showed up at work and they called me into the office and said, we don't like you. You're not getting along with people. And I was shocked. I was stunned. I was just like, and, and that was a turning point for me just because like I, I finally started realizing maybe the problem is me, right? Like it was so stunning. Like how could I have been going to work every day thinking I'm doing a good job at this large company? And they had a very, very different point of view. Um, and so that's when I really started thinking more about, well, what do I want to do? How do I want to work? And how, how, how am I going to be the be best version of myself? Um, so again, it can come from all over the place. It can be an unproduced screenplay. It can be a, a, a new company that nobody wants to fund or a company that God forbid you fund and then goes south. I've had that happen to me too. Right. And so all of these things are just what you, you, you just build on them and you keep going because you believe in your vision. And you just and you and you're curious and passionate, and that and that's always been what what drives me more than anything else. No, that's amazing. That's amazing, and I think like wow, that's very good advice. I feel for like at least I, I know at least seven people who should listen to that, and who probably are going through so, a lot only of rejection. Only at least seven at like the top of my mind. Their names just flashing. Like I'm sure there are others if I if like when once this goes viral with your amazing advice and all, but. You you also did something absolutely phenomenal. You made it in one of arguably the toughest industries out there, the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. It's just something that I that I know many aspiring musicians and filmmakers and people of mm -hmm. all walks of life who always wanted to tap into that, but struggled to kind of like make it through. Eventually, you actually you were amazing. You you eventually started your own firm with some of the mm -hmm. tops um, musicians out there. You were mm -hmm. overlooked. I think digital content for many of like the top shows that I watch at home, like halfway across the world, growing up. So it's like you did make it in that industry. In a but again, it's something that probably was not easy and probably was not at all a smooth journey. How did you begin tapping into the entertainment industry? And at what point you really start seeing that 
that success kind of come in for you in your point of view? Well, I think there were kind of, I don't know, there were kind of two two starting points for me. One, one was the decision, and again, you're going to have a half dozen of these in your life, like turning points. One was the decision that after a year, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore, right? And that's a pretty groundbreaking, not groundbreaking, but a pretty big one, right? It's not like you're saying, I, I want to keep being a lawyer, but I'll go to a different firm, or I'm going to keep being a lawyer, and or, or I'll move to a different department. You're saying, no, like, this is over. This is I'm retired, right? I mean, I literally checked the bar exam or the bar dues every year retired. Um, and so then you're like, well, what are you going to do? So if you're, it's the 1990s and you're a lawyer and you want to get into entertainment and you're living in New York, which I was, you work at Court TV, which was, I mean, like most people watching this probably never even heard of it, but it was really a thing for a while, right? We had the OJ Simpson trial. We had the Menendez brothers trial. So it was a journalism or a news broadcasting network. But the, the the genius of that for me was it was such a small place that you you worked very quickly. Like you you were producing live content in, in a control room and doing all like kind of the building blocks of how to even make video content. You just got that in a matter of months. And at, at large news organizations in the 90s, it would have taken you years. So that was a that was a, a humiliating thing because I was no longer making like Wall Street money. But it was also, thank God I had my wife too, who was, but like, it was also a great, it turned out to be a great thing because man, you know, you're, you, you went to an Ivy league school to be a PA, but within months you're really making television. And I'd say really making it, you're, you're shooting, you're editing, you're writing, you're doing all those building blocks that you just would never get as an intern. And then I think for me, the other big inflection point was how you go from being a uh, like the broadcast journalism side to being creative. And that was just through a, a fluke. Um, I, you know, I knew some folks in New York. It's the way it always works in Hollywood. There was this game show that was happening. Uh, they didn't think it was going to be very much of a show. They thought it was just going to be, um, you know, it was called a stunt, which is like a word, which is like a kind of a limited run series. Um, and nobody was making game shows at the time. And some, I got connected with the production company and they said, we need a grown up to be the head writer on that, on this stunt for three months. Would you do that? And that was who wants to be a millionaire, right? Which became this, what? like, which became this unbelievable phenomenon. Like, I mean, crazy phenomenon. Um, and I, again, like people don't realize that Super Bowl numbers on TV actually used to happen all the time. They don't happen anymore. Um, so my point is that one was just like dumb luck. That was just being in the right place at the right time. And again, nobody goes to school saying, I'm going to be a trivia show producer or a trivia show writer. Um, but when you catch those waves, if you catch that break, you just have to you have to be in the right place at the right time and then make the most of it. I, 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 I think I did. That is insane. T tell us a little bit about that story in the way kind of like, like, I wouldn't say necessarily meeting the right people, but getting it like, you know, like into the door of what would be what seemed like a small project and eventually having that blown up into one of arguably the largest shows in, in television history. So uh, like, what was that process for you as an individual? Because you wouldn't see kind of like- It was just, it was you know? just honestly, Harsha, it was just dumb luck. It was just, I knew some folks in <laughs> the production company. They saw, they saw a tape of something I produced at Court TV. They thought it was funny when it wasn't even supposed to be funny. <laughs> And, and they said, well, this is great. And we need somebody in New York. And it was, again, I don't know that it's that 
simple. I, I'm, I, I, we, there's not enough time in the day to tell those types of stories and they're all just luck based. But I guess for me, it comes back to the same theme, which is like, it's miraculous because I never sought out mentors and I didn't network well. And those are two things that I think are just incredible life skills that I, I got lucky to overcome it or get, you know, and I didn't, I wouldn't say overcome it, but I, I was still able to get, make a career despite the fact that the two most important things other than your creativity are mentors and networking. And those are two things I've just always been really bad at. And only now am I starting to literally in my fifties, am I starting to think about that more introspectively? So you have to be creative. You have to have a thin, a thick skin. Uh, you have to, you know, just have a very active mind, but like to be, if we're being really honest, you know, it's more about right place, right time. And the way to do that is put yourself in the, as many rooms as you can. Um, whether they're, whether they're zoom rooms or whether they're like actual production rooms or studios, you just have to get a network, uh, one way or the other. And, and to me, if there's one piece of advice I would give anyone who wants to be in, in almost any industry, it is network, network. It's who do you know, who, how do you like, you know, uh, make, make lasting relationships, never write somebody off. Like that's, that's proven to work for me. And I wasn't even trying to make it work for me. I only think back and say, what if I'd been trying anyway? No, no, very, very well said. And when, and I like the thing where it's, where you said, try to put yourself as in many doors as possible, just take as many opportunities and all of that. You, you also mentioned that when you started, uh, it was a three month project and, and that eventually became, I think, a whole career in game shows and in all five, of these. Five years, five years. Five years. After that. Which, Every game show you can imagine, right? Yeah. You worked on American Idol. You worked on, I think, like, um, So You Think You Can Dance, which is all like literally the shows that I remember watching, like, like growing up. So mm -hmm. definitely like huge impact all across the world. But before that kind of point where that success hits and all of that, there is kind of like this 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 moment where you, there's a bit of uncertainty. You, you work on a project for three months. You don't know if it's going to continue after that. You're not sure if it's going to work. Like, what were you thinking at that point of time that enabled you to take that risk in a sense without knowing the extreme amazing amount of success that would happen? You know, I don't know. Um, I'll be I'll be really honest. You know, for for not being a great networker or, or owning the fact that I could be a better networker. I think I have always been almost always open to a new idea or a new show. And there are people that I'm sure there are people that turned down that job before me. I mean, you know, and like, you know, you always read, you know, so-and-so is going to be cast in Goodfellas and turned it down. Right. Like, I mean, there's a million, there's a million of those, you know, could have, would have showed us stories. But for me, I guess maybe I make up on, I make up for my lack of mentors and my lack of, of network by just being really open to creative. And so when an idea comes along, I, I typically am like, okay, I can see this working. I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic. And I've had a lot of things that crash and burn because I made the wrong choice, but in that particular instance, it worked. Um, but what was interesting about that was the way, again, was the way that I learned that like success can in anything can really, really bolster your reputation. Right after after I worked on Millionaire it was it wasn't easy, but like there was it was just game show after game show after game show, and I almost didn't appreciate it. I definitely didn't appreciate it. Toward the end, I was like, you know what, getting a little bit tired of doing sports game show here and doing word game show there. I want to do something different. Again, I'm just intellectually curious. I'm not saying I took it for granted. I won't I won't cop to that, but maybe a little. Right, and so that's just how people are wired. Like I I have friends from from Millionaire. Who are literally still working on that show today, 
I have friends from American Idol and from like some of the companies that I worked at that are still doing it. And they're perfectly fine to kind of keep going, like make some slight twists and some some slight uh, changes in direction. For whatever reason, it's, it's, it's never been me. No, no, I think that you speak for me on behalf of many millennials and Gen Zs who are currently being made fun of or for not being able to stick on something. And I think it, it's been re, it's really inspiring listening to how you you you, you well, kind my, of like my wife it. my wife would characterize it very differently than I am, but <laughs> I, I I think there's probably a middle ground somewhere where like yeah intellectual curiosity on one side, and again you know lack of focus on the other. Those are probably two really big extremes. It's somewhere in between, and that's fine. Just but my point is knowing that and becoming self-aware of like what those personality traits are and what your work habits and work styles are like. Uh, the, the, that to me is the table stakes that we were talking about earlier. Like the sooner you learn that, the easier it becomes to think about like what types of professions or what types of jobs or what types of roles would you be good at? And that's what I've learned. Amazing. And when, when, and when you do feel that moment where you're like, okay, this thing may not, like it was exciting in the beginning. I can feel my excitement dwindling down a little bit. What's what, like, is there something next that I could move on to? How are you like kind of like in that process of things? Like like what is your 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 the the way you go about finding the next thing to work on? Maybe you can share like from how you transition from game shows to the next thing in your career of amazing things. Well, well, I guess like I knew out so this was less of a it was less of a sea change, but you know, again, it was gets back to that notion about like you could switch law firms, or you could switch law departments. So I knew I loved being in TV and I knew I was pretty good at 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 creating ideas. Um, I also knew that I, I, I don't particularly like being what's a, what's known as a show runner. Like I don't like operating. I I'm more, I'm, I'm, I'm best utilized and I'm happiest when I'm creating when I'm, when I'm those, those early days. Um, and so, I mean, there was a company in New York that I knew again, based on network that knew me. Um, and they had been a very, um, They've been very focused on journalism and on what what I would call like reality, early stage reality TV, but like very straight, like, I mean, we don't even call them docu-soaps. It was just like verite, right? Hey, here's cameras in an ambulance. Here's cameras, like just really straight, know what the industry term is formats and game shows are formats. There's like a, a process you can sell in lots of countries. They kind of are a little bit bigger. And so they were looking... They knew they they knew they got acquired by a very large production company and they were like, whoa, wait a second, we're journalists. We we don't have anybody in-house who can help us like really kind of develop that other side of our brain. And and I just connected with them and ended up working there for for several years and or actually for five or six years. That's a long time for me. <laughs> um, but that was that was Endemol, really large production company. And that what was cool about that was like we knew we had a stable business because the, the company made so many great shows. But it gave me the ability to kind of tap into international ideas. It gave me the chance to really start thinking about like my own things with just with a little more breadth. And and so that was a great again expansion from I'm only going to make game shows to let's go make the Royal Housewives of Atlanta because that's super fun. Let's go. Like it was more than just game shows. So I was able to stay in Hollywood that way, but I, 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 I did, I wasn't only doing the same thing after, you know, years, which can get pretty tiresome for somebody who's, who is curious and wants to do new things. So that was a pretty big, pretty big shift for me. And it was also corporate, which was a lot different. How, how do you go about kind of like, I don't know, like expanding your mind from the thing that you knew to kind of like a broader 
like scope of things that you were working on? Was that like like an international scope of like a, like a different slightly genre of the shows that you're producing? Did you face any challenges as kind of like adjusting to that, or was that something that you could do just automatically with the creativity or the creative brain that you had? Yeah, I think I again, it's just one of those things I just have. I mean, and and I'll be honest, it's like. Um, it's a blessing. It's not a curse. I won't say that. It's a strength, but it's also got challenges because you tend to lose focus, right? Like seeing projects through and like knowing you're onto something, but then really, really sticking it out when you're always thinking of a new idea, when you're always, when your drawer is full of not just screenplays, but products and it, it can get cluttering and, and it can be debilitating is the wrong word. It can be disruptive and not, and not for good, right? Because you're, you got a lot of ideas you've got a lot of things that you have hunches. I'll call them. I use that word a lot. And you, you never get them past that early stage. They never get out of your drawer and into the world. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, I tend now to be a little more, um, what we're looking for a little, a little harder on myself or a little harder on the idea, but I'll, I, again, I'll be super honest almost anything I read about, almost anything I hear about my first instinct is what can we do with that creatively? Like what's like, it's very, very hard for me to turn that off. And I've, and the older I've gotten, the more I've learned that maybe I should just try to temper it, but not completely give it up. No, no. Very cool. And I think that you, you did have some extremely out of this world, like projects that you worked on and, and companies that you worked on. You worked on a company with Ludacris, the, the, the mm -hmm. rapper, like really mm -hmm. like the, mm -hmm that's insane you you again worked on all of these big shows um in like before we kind of move into like your your journey in the tech industry which is again something that i've got to ask how you transitioned over to that what was kind of like the most i would say like meaningful project that you worked on or the one that you felt the most i don't know creatively satisfied among all of the many things that you did well i've never been asked that and i've never actually thought about it um because there's so many ways to decide to 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 define impact or success, right? I mean, if I went just by you know, big Hollywood success, I would say American Idol has to be right. I mean, I didn't I didn't create that show. Let's be a hundred thousand percent clear. I this my company owned it and I worked on it, but not as a producer. But it was like one of the things we had. Um, but then the same company, we own the Muhammad Ali business. I made a 15 minute short film about Muhammad Ali and how he crazy story. He went to Iraq and negotiated with Saddam Hussein to get a bunch of hostages released. And it was like, that's just an incredible story just because what Muhammad Ali meant to me and what I think he meant to so many Americans. So like the spectrum is so broad that it's hard to say what had the most impact. Um, right. Cause there's financial impact, there's societal impact, there's personal impact. Maybe we should go with impact on you, like among all of the projects that it had. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to answer it in a very, in, in an unsatisfying way. I haven't found it yet. And oh. the reason, and the reason why this is exactly the reason why I keep, why I keep going because like, I, I mean, it's a disingenuous answer to your question. Um, but I really believe that, right? Like, like I, I've never, ever, no matter whether like my father finally sees my name in the producer credits on American uh, on who wants a millionaire, like never thought a million years that would happen, but I've never said, I've never said, wow, this was my favorite thing, or this was like something that was so near and dear to me. I've never had that moment. You know, I think that's the only right way to answer that question. Like when you put well, it that way. Too, you're being too kind. I'm just dodging. No, no I'm just kidding. It's, um, it's a different 
it's a different perspective, uh, like very interesting. Okay, I don't think you ever can, right? Like somebody asked me the other day, like, well, like, like, like you're like, you're decades older than people you who work for you or people that you work with. Like, and I, I that's true. I mean, but I, I, I don't know I can, I can have an Instagram account too, right? I can, you know, like I can, you just have to stay curious about things and start thinking about things. And and that's been, again, it's been my, that's been my guiding ethos, whatever you want to call it, whatever fancy word you want to put behind it. It's gotten me in trouble at times, right? Again, because like seeing things through, like really, you know, knowing you're onto something and really putting in that sweat and grit for sometimes years is a problem for creative people or people that have a lot of uh, high velocity of ideas like I do. Um, but man, it's fun and it's exciting. And, and I really believe, I, I don't think I'll ever stop because I, I, I just, again, I don't know why it's just an instinct that I have that I'm, I'm glad it took me a while to tap into it, but I'm glad that I did. All right. Very cool. How did you begin pivoting into the tech industry? Because we know today that the tech industry is huge and it's going to take yeah. over the world and we're all going to, I don't know, have to start investing in buying property in the metaverse soon. So it's like so many things that now we know, but you were ahead of the curve way before it, like, like, like the, the, the buzz about it's happening right now. How did yeah. you start kind of like, like, like switching and pivoting into kind of like the whole, uh, well, even prior to your time in VR and AR, but like in, in I would say tech in general. These, from it. I'll start with this. These are the good old days. <laughs> People <laughs> say the metaverse is here. It's not here yet, but we'll get to that in a, in a, in a minute. Um, so two reasons or two pass forward. Um, the first was, again, I've just always been curious and, and I was specifically curious about how technology technology and storytelling, how they fit together and, and and more specifically how they don't, right? I'd just been infatuated. As soon as I moved to the Bay Area, I was infatuated with, uh, and before then really, but it really hammered it home. You know, the, the, it's 400 miles between Silicon Valley and Hollywood. And it's just unbelievable how the, how the methodologies are different. The languages are different. The business models are different. Like it's crazy that there's not a tighter connection between 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 technology and storytelling. That was just something I, I I had a hunch when we lived in New York and it was more driven by Wall Street than technology and story. But once I got out to Northern California, I could not believe just how wide that gap was. It's a couple hundred miles and it might as well be another planet. Um, and then the second reason is just really, really simple. I mean, I, I, I followed a girl, right? I moved out to California. My wife started working here in Silicon Valley. And you're working in Silicon Valley. There's not, I mean, this is before Netflix or Netflix was still a DVD business. They weren't making content. So you, 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 what are you going to do, right? You're going to, you're going to have to figure out a way to develop a little bit of a superpower or some muscle that you can talk to product managers, which I think I've learned over, took me a long time that you can speak. I'm not a coder. Let's be clear. I'm not a, but I think like a PM now because I worked at so many product focused organizations, but in your superpower is you can be the UN translator that can also talk to Hollywood people. Um, and that's what I always wanted to do. Right. I always just was just super curious about phones and about gadgets and about like consumer behaviors. Like what are people actually doing? Cause people in Hollywood are just developing stories and they're not even thinking about the metaverse where they are now, but they weren't thinking about, well, why not just do a 30 minute movie in VR? I'm like, because the average person vomits after two minutes, like they were never having that conversation. They were just thinking about it from one lens, right? Which is VR is cool. Um, 
30 minute movie because that's what I that's what I do really well or or 90 minute movie. I've had pitches for crazy things and I like and then you'd have the product people who are in Silicon Valley saying, you know, we just want to build good products and we don't know content and, you know, what should we do? And so like that to me was like just the, the challenge of a lifetime was like trying to figure out like, what should we do? I, I think I know what we should do, but the issue now is like the, the hardware is still not good enough, um, but it's getting there. Um, so anyway, that's kind of what got me into, into Silicon Valley. Again, a very practical idea, which is like, I'm, I'm moving out here with my family and, uh, and a very, whatever you want to call it, um, um, emotional idea, which is this quest to solve this, like this, this weird gap between Silicon Valley, Northern California and Southern California, we'll call it. And it's not, it's not geographical, but it's, it's, you get it's, it. You it's, like, I don't know. Like, I agree. I agree. Like, I never thought of it that way. And I think, uh, I personally have always been very fascinated with that intersection of, of kind of like where technology is and where it isn't. I've just been lucky to, to have one side of my life be at Penn and learn about NFTs and blockchain and all of these stuff. And then back at home, live in a country where seven out of 10 small businesses don't have a website at all. And that's one of the problems that I've been very passionate yeah. about solving with the startup that I had. And I think that many of the, 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 the clients that I've had in my little startup that helps these companies and individuals digitalize have been musicians, have been comedians, have been people in the art space. And I'm glad that, 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 that you're looking at this at, at kind of like the, the macro level and kind of like doing this at, at the level of Hollywood and all of that. And that's absolutely insane. While you were at Samsung, I think one of the things there was actually that, that, was, I, that I read about that was very cool is I think there was this project by the Walking Dead producers. I think this is yeah. what you were at Samsung. Where they yeah, I almost, I almost answered that for my favorite project of all time, but like literally nine people accessed it because it was nobody had any headsets right like so that that's always the conundrum of the of the first movers in 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 technology and content i would unfortunately was the first mover in both right so you had no users and you had really bad creative tools but we had this idea that it, you know vr is three whatever you want to call it, 360 storytelling you know the whole premise and promise of it was about like it's like being there right you can be in the scene as opposed to watching a scene from further back, like you know, you're, you, like things could be going on behind you, um, and so what we built was it was a it was a like a disappearance, like a like a mystery about a child who goes missing, um, but the way we shot it was that there were these, like it was nonlinear. Um, there were these cue points, so you'd be you'd be looking at a scene. You might be at a park or whatever. That's where it starts, and the little boy goes missing. And you had like the idea was that we're trying to get you to look around and to look at different things and to focus on that. And depending on where you looked, you got a little cue point. You would just tap your phone because it was a phone based system. And if you looked at that phone, you if you looked at that and tapped on your cue point, you would go off and you get that character's backstory. And so it was like a, I called it a centipede. You, you had a beginning and an end, but you 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 the, how you got to the end was different. It wasn't, you know, this like, oh, wait a second, if I go down this, like, it's, it wasn't a different outcome. It was always the same outcome. But what was interesting about it for me and for uh, the, the folks from Skybound that pitched it, um, created it, was like, okay, you, 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 you at least are leaning into what, what the technology is saying. The technology is saying that it's all happening around you. So let's at least, if we're going to make some a big swing, let's at least do it in something that's like, that is like we think is is the strong point of that technology. I would have never done something like that in a, in a 
video game where it's just about being on your screen and, and playing it. So when I talk about things like, like technology and storytelling, having to work together, I'm pretty proud of that one. Again, nobody ever saw it. It, 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 it. There were not any users. It was early stage, but that doesn't matter to me because what mattered, well, it did matter. But what I liked about the project impact wise was it was, it was a step forward, right? It was something that hadn't been attempted before that, that really we didn't have the code to even do, but we figured it out. Um, and again, it, it took, for me, it took me a step forward for this. Like my quest is to get storytelling and technology actually in the same room. Um, and it, it was a pretty big step for me forward on that, on that front. No, I think, and, and at the like risk of making a very terrible joke, I think you really changed reality with that, like both virtually and also kind of like setting what the expectation of what people or kind of like the bounds of what you could do. And I really love that nuanced perspective of kind of like creating the story and, and that like leveraging on kind of like the technology in the storytelling process and not just kind of like looking at it as two separate things that you that you eventually you match together. To. You yeah. have to. And again, that but you'd be but you would be shocked. Like there are still, I'm not going to name names and talk about companies and be a hater, but there are still like again, you'll see creative folks are like, oh, short form content is working. We're going to be the short form content network. Or we're going to be the mobile net. We're going to do only mobile first content. All they're really doing is just shorter episodes. That doesn't necessarily, it doesn't get it all. It doesn't get to like the actual consumer behavior. Right. And so you know, like when I'm, when I'm hiring teams, like I'm always wanting a, be a consumer behavior expert. Like what are people actually doing on their phones? Are they posting? Are they sharing? Like how are they consuming content? And, and, and again, with VR devices, like, there were two problems. A, we couldn't sell any of them because they were crappy and uncomfortable and, and actually kind of scary to wear. Um, and B, like no one knew how to make any content for 360 viewing other than game engines, which they'd know. And, but now five years later, I mean, look what's happening with Meta, with Facebook. Like it's starting to happen because the devices have gotten a lot better and the content's gotten a lot better. But like that was just very early days. And we, and we knew it. It's just we didn't know if it would be five years or 10 years. Turned out it's going to be 10, maybe even longer, but that's okay. Cause I think it's pretty, it's pretty great when it works well. Yeah. yeah. And I really like like the, 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 this whole conversation because I agree with like now, like I feel many platforms are going to, we need a short form content. We like the shorter, the better in a sense. And, but like the way that you're, the, the, like this conversation is making me feel is that maybe that's not exactly where the future is going to go on a long-term basis. Maybe there's more towards kind of like where, where this whole entertainment, this whole media and this whole consumer industry is going to go mm -hmm. because, and I think that's just the power of having you on this show because it's really breaking my mind into pieces and shattering what I thought about kind of media and content. I hope for our audience, it does the same because that, that, that's a brilliant way of thinking about where things are headed. You, one, one very cool thing, which I saw um, that I think you did and you posted a blog on it was while you're at Google, you went to Coachella and you did the whole 3D mm -hmm. like yeah. conference. Things like that. Yeah. How? Yep. Yeah, some given that this was very early in kind of like the stages of um, the, the whole VR, AR, and the whole kind of like anything that is not a two-dimensional video stage of the industry. What What were the things that that you were working on to kind of like raise the awareness of people like that this was something big and that this was something I think that the Coachella well, video was probably well, amazing. But like, well, that was the whole that was the whole point of again when you're early stage and experimental you're just trying to make noise. You're trying, you're trying to innovate and make noise, right? Um, hopefully the right kind of noise, like, like attracting attention. Um, for us that looking back, 
not us, what for, for me, when I was at Google, like we, we knew the 360 video was going to be hard and that like the devices weren't great. So the Coachella stuff and what, what we were really curious about was like trying to, it was really more about AR. It was like, well, let's just make really good content. Like everyone's already watching Coachella, but what if you could watch it with all these overlays and all these interesting um, effects put on it? So that you, whether you're watching it in a device or not, didn't matter. Um, and I think that was actually, now that we're talk, we were talking about impact, that was actually super impactful for us and for, for, for me personally and for Google, because that's, that was actually really more akin to what the metaverse is, right? The metaverse to me is not about the hardware. It's the people always get that wrong. Like the hardware is just one way that you're going to, like when I say it, I mean a, a, a headset. That's just one way that you're going to experience it. It might be super immersive, but the metaverse is is more about what you're doing. It's about like, you know, we've gone from like web one where people were just kind of sitting back and, and watching web two, which is mobile driven, right? Is where you had like people creating, right? Like TikTok comes along, creator tools, all these apps that make it like you can be a creator. And web three to me is about being an owner. Um, and like, not only can you now create, but you can build all these graphics and worlds, all the technology has gotten into every user's hands that you can actually own the work that you're doing. Um, and, and so you see these leaps, right? Everyone leaped into VR. There was gonna be the biggest thing. We spent a trillion dollars on crappy hardware. Um, and then everybody pulled back, whoa, 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 it's not that great. Well, we knew that. And now you're seeing a leap with NFTs, all the speculators, there's a $70 million painting, there's a $2 million board ape thing that Justin Bieber bought, which is awesome. I think what you'll see is there'll be a pullback when the speculators come out. And then what you're going to be left with is a great way for any creator to, to, to self-express and to monetize and, and own their work in a way that they never could before. Um, so you just see these shifts over and over again. That's a very long winded answer to your question. But like, to me, the, the aha moment there was like, how do you get content into as many hands as you can? And it doesn't necessarily have to be inside of a headset. It can be on your phone, on the computer that I'm talking to you about. It's, it's the, it's the point of the content that matters, not necessarily how you consume it. No, very well said. And you are obviously the expert, probably more of an expert than many mm -hmm. current experts out there who are like experting. But in your point of view, what needs to be done by all of these companies or all of us in a sense to really bring this technology to kind of like the level that we watch in Star Trek or like stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Like what what's the kind of like needs to be done for us to take that leap to make the, like it's to make very... the day-to-day -day reality for us it's a very long list of product and software improvements but luckily <laughs> but luckily there are buildings full of engineers all across the silicon valley in the world now um that are focusing on it um no look i mean heart like for for metaverse let's talk about like the future right for like like as as off-putting as headsets can be and uncomfortable for some people it really is awesome. And, and I have to say like, it's like the, the folks at Meta and Oculus, it's unbelievable how far it's come actually in five years. People don't realize these things were like wearing like beekeeper outfits, right? Or like diving bells on your head. They were so uncomfortable um, and made people sick, like literally made people sick. Wait, who, who introduces a product that's not recommended for 14 year olds? Like that was like, those were, <laughs> that was the, like people were nervous that you would like mess up people's brains and eyes. And, you know, maybe someday somehow someone will 
make that claim, but like the hardware has to keep improving is a long-winded way of saying it. But really what I think it's funny because like we've been talking about technology and story, like you're seeing all the speculation now, right? You're seeing like crazy prices for like, what that's LeBron James highlight that I saw on ESPN. Why is that worth $200,000? I'm not debating it. It's fantastic, but I'm saying, what has to happen is storytelling has to come in. Uh, and that's what I'm really focused on, right? Whether it's my own ideas or ideas that I'm cooking up with partners or whatever, like you, you're seeing creation of assets, but you're not seeing any kind of, it's ephemeral, right? You're not seeing any reason to go back to that concert on Fortnite, which is a metaverse concert, right? Travis Scott and Fortnite was metaverse, right? You're not seeing, um, you know, you're never going to see a two hour feature film. I shouldn't say that. I doubt you'll see a two hour feature film. It's just a different mindset. But like, like you're just you're we're creating ephemeral content right now because that's what the systems can take. And that's what users are used to. But to me, what I'm super curious about, what I'm going to be spending more and more of my time on and hopefully in the in the near and distant future is, again, how how you add stories They're just different types of stories, but how you add them to all this ephemeral content to make it feel like it's persistent. Absolutely amazing. And I, it, the whole intersection of technology and storytelling has not been something that I particularly thought about, but I think after this interview, it's going to be on my mind for a long time to come simply because I feel like those are two things that many people are passionate about. It's just that they need to see kind of like the, 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 the overlap between those two and the, and exactly what you're talking about of how those two kind of like interconnect. And I think that's, I thought, that, I, thought of, yeah. I thought of my answer. What's the thing I've done that had the most impact? You just, you just hit the nail on the head. So at Samsung, I had, I had, I had a day where five of the best directors in Hollywood, like people that I could, would never, ever hope to meet, like, because they were so curious about VR, we were able to get them into a room with our engineers. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, there was eye contact and there was, there was a great, very positive discussion. But like, honestly, like that to me, looking back now, like that was like one of those moments where you're like, it wasn't a project, but it was just like that mindset of, okay, you are going to listen to them and they're going to tell you what the technology can do. And you're, and you're going to, and, and you're going to tell them what their technology should do. And they're going to tell you what stories you need, et cetera, et cetera. And that dialogue was super, super productive and rewarding for me again, just not because of anything we produced, but because it's like it was one step closer to that world where like technology people are finally listening to storytellers and vice versa. We're not there yet, but it was one small step. You okay? That is insane to think about, and I and I really do hope that I can like live in the near future where I don't know my movies are a lot more interesting or the or the media I consume is a lot more interesting thanks to kind of like the foundations that you're setting up right now. So thank you in advance. And what do you think? What what's your advice for everyone who wants to kind of like if this is something that they're passionate about, this is a space that they want to go into mm -hmm. that whole intersection mm -hmm. between media and um, technology because i feel like if more people knew that this is a thing they this would be this would be like the next big thing at least among like i don't know all of the friends that i have at college who love these two things separately yep. and would probably lose their minds after this conversation where do they start no way because you started at the very kind of like pioneer of like entertainment you went into technology you had like this beautiful story we're kind of somewhere in the middle of a very confused landscape of what technology even is right now so where, where well, does someone 
Well, I, again, we, we are, you already touched on it, which is these really are the good old days, right? It's still early. Like, I really believe that. Like, I thought it was the good old days 10 years ago, and and it still is. Um, and But that's really, really important just as your mindset. Like, like there's because you see, especially now with social media amplifying everything, there's such a frenzy. There's such a speculative mindset that it's just like, oh, it's too late. They already made all those NFTs or it's too late. You know, uh, Travis Scott did that concert on Fortnite or whatever. Like there's a meta movie coming out on Facebook, on, on Oculus. It, I, there's no there's no role in that for me. And the answer is that that's just that's good. That means that people are starting to lean in. So it's never too late, like literally never too late. Um, but from a practical point of view, I think we touched on it as well. Like, yeah, I mean, like adopt the creator's mindset, like put yourself in the shoes of a creator. Even if you're not a creative person, think about what the users are doing and what the users are going to, are going to want to do. Um, and that's, 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 that's ideas will flow from that. Practically speaking, take engineering courses. You don't have to be an engineer, like learn how to code or at least learn what code does and learn what more importantly, what product management does or how, cause that's the way this stuff is all, that's the approach. Right. But then also man, take, take classics, like take Greek history, take whatever it is that can, that can inform your storytelling. I still read the Iliad and the Odyssey every, every other year, because I just feel like it just is like a reframe and reset for me to just kind of just think about like, to me, that's like the, one of the origins of like what story story really means. Um, there's no, again, there's not going to be a degree for metaverse content creator. There's not going to be a degree or a major in game show production. There's just not, but, but if you do some of these building blocks and if you have the right or a mindset that's based on creativity and how users are going to create, if you have enough of an engineering or, or a product management understanding that you at least can have the conversation, even if you're not necessarily that kind of person, it'll serve you well. Okay, that that is amazing. And I think you even wrapped up our episode beautifully. So thank you so much. And I don't, I need to go lie down after this and, and like rest my brain. It's a little fried right now after this conversation, but I hope that this has been as fun and as fruitful for you as it has been for me. So thank you so it's much. It's been for great. Having. You know, you can always edit that down if it's too crazy. I have no problem with it. I give you my, I give no, you my, uh, my, my creative uh, approval. No, no. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And for all of our audience, if like, please do like keep up with the latest things that's happening. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to follow you on Instagram, but if you, if, if that's allowed, I'll drop it. In I'm not on it. <gasps> I have, a, I have only a burner accounts to follow my kids. So they don't know that dad's following them. Don't spread that around guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, they know, they know I'm following. They just don't know who it is. So that's fine. I like them to know, but then not know. Okay, I'm gonna go check like all my followers just for like my parents now. But now that you said that, but anyway, all right. But anyway, thank you to our audience for listening in. I, and this has been one of my most interesting conversations that I've had on the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And did. for now, this is uh, signing off. Bye. Thank you very much. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.